Welcome to the Misophonia Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 9. My name is Adil Ahmad, and I have misophonia. This week I'm talking to Michaela, a misophone who was also recently diagnosed with autism. This is a long one where we talk about misophonia's place in neurodivergent culture, her experience growing up with miso, and now having the language to express to others finally how she feels, her many coping methods, how she focuses on her nervous system, and we end with some thoughts on the kind of empathic superpowers uh, misophones can demonstrate to the world. This is an episode with lots of quotes and great nuggets that just gets better and better as the interview flows on. As always, let me know what you think. You can reach out uh, by email at helloatmisophoniapodcast.com or find me on Instagram and Facebook at misophoniapodcast. Um, if you can, please go and leave a quick rating or review wherever you listen to this show. It helps uh, drive us higher in the algorithms, which just helps us reach more misophones. Thanks for the incredible ongoing support as well of our Patreon supporters. If you feel like learning more there, you can read all about it at patreon.com slash misophoniapodcast. All right, now here's my conversation with Michaela. Michaela, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited and happy International Day of Peace while we're recording this. Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we're recording on the 21st of September. Um, Yeah, that's great. Happy International Peace Day. Um, So, yeah, Michaela, do you want to, I guess, tell people, you know, kind of where you are in the international community and kind of what you do? Yeah, so I'm in Washington State in the San Juan Islands, and so we're the most northern islands in the Puget Sound. And we can, I can see Canada from where I live most days, and so that's fun. Um, love living here. I live in the woods. I am a neighbor to a donkey, and luckily the, the donkey does not annoy me, only the barking dogs. But that's a whole other thing. But, <laughs> yeah, um, we'll, we'll probably get, up to, get to that at some point. But yeah. yeah, exactly. But I love living in the woods. It's great. I, it's a lot of peace. I get to go to a lot of beaches here. And so it is nice living in a more secluded area um, for those reasons, you know, finding peace and finding our moments of solitude. But it is, you know, it has its quirks for sure. But um, for what I do, I've been nanny- nannying for about 10 years. And so I just work with kids and Amazing. it's super great. There's some triggers that come up, but I, I handle it. Yeah, that's great. Oh, what's the, uh, what's so what is it pretty easy to get a nannying gig there around where you are? Um, yes. is there a decent population there? Yes. So there is definitely a decent population of people who stay here year round. Um, and there's just a shortage of, caretakers and so and you know people are a lot of people are moving here to start businesses and work and stuff and so there's a lot of kids who don't have care and are just like you know thrown with oh this person for this day or you know so I just try and help where where I can but yeah the triggers are I'm the more time I spend with a kid I usually start feeling you know that trigger feeling around them, mm-hmm. especially with the eating, because they're learning how to eat. And I try mm-hmm. to just move around that or I've been doing it for long enough where I've kind of established some things. <laughs> yeah. By moving around, do you mean like, um, I don't know, pace, uh, 
going to another room or heading outside, taking a break or yeah. or communicating with the with the child that uh, maybe they should do something slightly different <laughs> yeah so i typically love to do snacks in the car um and because i can turn on my music i'm focused on driving they're behind me i can't see them so that yeah. just all um like visual problems and but then you know they are behind me so it is a a odd situation i guess but i just go with it I guess and it works and then if they are like eating I when I was younger I used to um feed everyone dinner and then I'd go around the corner in the hallway and just sit on the floor until they were done and I never said anything I would just feed them and disappear and then when yeah. they were all done or if they needed something from the fridge they'd ask and I'd get it up and get it to them and just go back to the floor because I just yeah. I couldn't be in there. It just was too, too bad. And so that's I don't know what they thought about that. But I mean, I was with them and would play with them and whatnot. Um, it was just the eating part. I had to go away. And then there Makes was some, uh, I guess, repetitive sounds or like squeaky sounds that would bother me. And I would just like, OK, let's stop making that sound now or, you know, distract and you know, whatever, right. just keep moving on to something new. So, you know, kids are, kids are great because they love new things. And so we can distract them easily, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that you were talking about uh, the car being a, a kind of a refuge because usually when I hear about uh, a car mentioned on, the, on this podcast, it's uh, like a torture chamber, but it's usually when the person's the misophone's in the back seat, but you're in control, control of the volume. You're not necessarily looking exactly. at the kid unless you need to look in the rearview mirror so I can exactly. see how that would be. Because I, uh, um, I definitely good. have resonated with a lot of people on the podcast before with the car trauma because I lived in Oregon growing up and my grandparents lived here. And so I, you know, up and down I-5, you know, a lot of my childhood. And so cars were a torture chamber for me. And now I'm able to like manage it a little bit better, but it's taken some time for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so, um, so yeah, so Nan so did you then grab? Did you move here and take this vocation um, to you know escape a life that was a little bit more misophonically um, incompatible? Uh, <laughs> is this something you kind of chose on purpose to to find that that piece specifically for this condition? No, not at all. Um, I was definitely escaping my life by moving here, but yeah. nothing work related. I just kind of moved here knowing that I could find a job because everyone's hiring pretty much. And so I was like, um, I'll figure out something. But then kids just always follow me for some reason. And it's kind of funny because of misophonia, because I wouldn't necessarily like my misophonia truest self wouldn't like to be around kids, but my personality and my nature love kids. And so it's really this like double-edged sword, um, love hate relationship. And so I just saw a need and I love it. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Because a, a friend of mine who lives in Portland was recently Instagramming pictures of uh, amazing pictures and i was like where the hell is this and it was a san juan islands up up near you know up in washington i was like suddenly looking for real estate <laughs> yeah. if there's uh 
You should yeah, come visit. So Seriously, anyone definitely want to visit. I mean, I actually will be in Seattle soon uh, to yeah, visit family. So maybe I'll today. try it's to. Fun. You just take a little ferry. Not a little. It's yep. huge, actually. Take a ferry, and it's fun. There's fun shops and um, pretty good food, but... Uh, We'll have to do a Miss podcast convention in the San Juan Islands one day. Yes. We'll just get everybody yes. over there. You can just go um, to the beach and listen to the waves and just relax. Yep. 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 Oh, sounds amazing. Sounds beautiful. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, maybe let's back up to, uh, I know there's a lot of stuff and you sent me, yeah, you sent me an email or, or an Instagram message about some stuff you wanted to talk about, but maybe we should, um, just, let's, let's back up to something you said earlier about wanting to escape your life. Is that... You know how a lot of us, um, I don't know, a lot of us had kind of like some kind of complex trauma uh, earlier on in our lives. Uh, is are we kind of like talking about, you know, chaos at home, kind of like uh, um, things that may have? It's or... kind of everything all at once, but everything mm-hmm. that you didn't expect is ah, my intriguing. Okay. Yes, so I actually moved here to move out of my parents' house. Because, you know, it was kind of ending the pandemic, but like we're still in the pandemic. It was kind of that time. Um, And of like, oh, it's getting better. And I just needed, I needed a way. I graduated high school during the pandemic, decided not to go to college because all my plans changed. And I was like, this is not whatever. I'm just going to let it go for now. It's not the right time. And my grandparents have lived here, um, for the past 30 years. And so I was like, I'm just gonna go move to the island, take care of grandma. And as soon as I made that decision for myself, my parents also decided to move in with my grandma as well. Ah. And so I had gotten my own like tiny house here. And so I was living on the other side of the island, you know, I would check in on her, whatever. But then my parents moved into the house. And so after I was done working on the farm with the tiny house, I, my parents, we got a trailer for me to move back to the property. And so it was like the perfect storm. My dad needed a job change. My brother wanted, my brother and I have always wanted to live here and we needed to take care of grandma. So it was kind of this, okay, this is what's happening. And now we're here and we love it. And um, life is certainly not easy. It's been a lot of curveballs and a lot of growth, but we're here and we're glad to be here. But in moving here, this is when I started taking misophonia seriously because I was living in a tiny house with another human um, that wasn't my family. And so, you know, I explained things before we had moved in before, and that was fine. But then as time went on, obviously triggers start popping up. You see a misophonia meltdown and, you know, eyebrows start to get raised of like, are you even normal? <laughs> and yeah. uh, Did answer, you know this person beforehand or? Yes, I did. Uh, they were a friend. Okay. And yeah. I felt very comfortable with it. And I was like, we're in the woods. We'll have space, whatever. But, you know, inevitably, you know, something happens. But it was it was truly a blessing in disguise because they they really cared for me and saw how much uh, of distress that I was in and was able to be like, look, like, go get help, like, go to therapy, do something, do something. They're like, just do something, like, just start, because I've always been interested in psychology and the way people work. I just never 
gotten the opportunity to really do a deep dive on myself. And so that's what I did. And I have learned a lot over the past year. <laughs> so, okay. So you, so then you, you, at that point, you decided to see a therapist, like a professional, um, yes. got professional help specifically from misophonia. Okay. And how did you go about that? It was like a, like a kind of a traditional, um, you know, licensed therapist or, um, yes. kind of how did, how did you seek that person out? Um, well, there's pretty much, there's like private therapists here. Um, but there's also just like one building it's called compass health. And so I just went there and I got lucky. I've ha- I've had a long history of doctors and therapists and whatever, and we can get into that later. But this time I was like, they're not going to, there, there's nothing they can do for me. But I had read about, um, CBT therapy, cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral therapy. And so I was intrigued. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go. And I got lucky. This woman, she was an intern. She wasn't even getting paid. And she went total nerd on misophonia and wanted to learn everything she could. And the irony is what she was deaf. And so she had hearing aids. And so she was able to sympathize with me in a way that no one else had before. And she was like, we are the opposite. And that's okay. But I can understand what you're feeling still. And so it was a beautiful experience. And every week she taught me something new um, and I tried to implement into my life. And so it's been such a growing year. Wow. That's really interesting. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it's, uh, um, I mean, yeah, you're right. They're kind of opposite in some ways, but kind of uh, uh, able to sympathize uh, because it is, uh, it's a debilitating uh, auditory phenomena disorder um so what what did uh so how did that how did that start then um she obviously didn't know what miss funny was early on and um what are some of the things that she worked uh with you on so first you know getting to for her to get to know misophonia i just gave her kind of my life story and just like everything that happened everything i suspected misophonia could be related to because it's for me, it is so intersectional in so many areas of my life and traumas. And that's what people don't understand that, uh, well, non-misophones don't understand is that it's not just being annoyed with sound. Sorry to cut, sorry to cut in, but, but it's, it's interesting. It's, so yeah, it is very intersectional. It's so many different dimensions and layers. Um, so exactly. yeah, so I was like, I might, I just told her, I was like, I'm not going to talk about sounds this whole time because all of these facts matter. I was like, I feel that to my core. And she just listened. And then from there we talked, she was like, okay, so what are your issues right now? And before we had gotten the trailer um, on our property for me, um, I was sleeping on our couch. And so I had no room, uh, no room in the inn and our house is a loft. And so every night I could hear my mom snore. And that was a, a beautiful time in my life, you know, uh, just great, um, <laughs> you know, getting no sleep and being triggered all night. Um, yeah. And so we just we really focused on my current issues of that time because everything in my life had changed to where I all the coping skills that I had um, as a child growing up in my childhood home were out the door. I was in a completely new space, completely new town new dynamic with my grandma 
And so we just started from zero from where I was and what I was going through. And so the major things that we worked on were being triggered and leaving the situation or having the agency to leave the situation because all my life I was in freeze mode pretty much um, when it came to being triggered. I was in fight or flight in other areas of my life, but with when it came to misophonia, I just froze because and just I, shut down. I just shut down. And so she was like, you can leave. And I was like, I know that, but I need to actually start doing that. And so then I started leaving when I was triggered. But the thing was, is I would leave in a very chaotic way, not dramatic, like when I was a teenager, like stomping at yeah. the stairs. But I would like, I was like a cartoon character almost, like running through the kitchen, like, ah, don't start eating, like I'm gonna go now. And so it was just like very chaotic for me and it didn't mm. feel very peaceful and fluid. And so we just kind of talked and walked through that and how I can just like take a deep breath and be like, thank you for spending time with me. I love this conversation, I'm gonna go now. Now, luckily my family is amazing and will tell me like, hey, I'm making a sandwich. I'm going to be upstairs in a few minutes. Just so you know, like you need to wrap up your conversation pretty much because they know I'm going to leave anyways. And so it's yeah, it's been a learning experience, but we really worked on like how to leave um, like a normal human, I guess, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. like leave nicely. And and then it also helped me just get to a place where I could make accommodations for myself and I didn't have to just sit there and suffer and think that I was crazy and have these intrusive thoughts, but that I could be like, okay, there's a trigger happening right now. I can do something about it. I can pay attention to my breath. If that's what I need to do in this situation, I can walk away. I can put in earbuds, you know, all the little techniques and tools that we can have, I just was like, I'm actually going to use them now. And so it was very empowering to, to be able to put in my head plugs or earplugs and, uh, and just feel calm for once. Like that was amazing feeling. Yeah. That's great. Getting, getting you work, working to get out of the free situation. Um, and in that in the situation where you were hearing your mom sleeping was was like earplugs the solution there to kind of like make that go away or uh, I'm curious how you how you uh, man how you managed to uh, get over that. Yeah, so just from like baseline, I am a pillow over my head sleeper. <laughs> And so, and I genuinely feel like that is misophonia related. Like, how could it not be? Um, I don't think my neck likes it at all. I think it's all my ears. And so I think that's funny. So I would do that, but then I could obviously still hear it. So then I just kept adding things. And so I got yeah. like a headband with um, Bluetooth speakers in them mm -hmm. that I could lay down on. And so I would just play like chakra music or brown noise all night. Yeah. And it would just, it would lull me to sleep and it was great. And then if I did wake up in the middle of the night and that was off of my head, cause it would slip off sometimes. 
and I could hear her, that's when it got tricky because the house was so quiet that I could still like hear her almost or even the music. I thought that I was hearing her. It was it was definitely a mind thing. And so then just to calm my mind, I'd put earplugs in and then the uh, sound band and that would, you know, get me back to sleep. But there were also nights where I would just like sit on the deck outside, <laughs> like and just yeah. look at the stars or something because I was just like, I can't be in there. I just can't be in that space. And how, how is it now then uh, overall, like living and sleeping in your house yeah. with your family? It's good. So now I have my own trailer. And so I do have my own space and I mm. have had to make some accommodations um, with that, but it's pretty good. I, you know, our family obviously um, with me doesn't like eat together, even just them in general. They just, you know, everyone's, my brother has soccer, you know, parents want to eat when they want. And so we've just kind of thrown that tradition out the window. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's usually the first thing that goes. Exactly. And so eating is kind of, I just try to avoid it. Um, and if someone is about to eat, they just kind of tell me and then I maneuver myself away. Um, and then, but we are still able to spend time together and, um, but, but everyone in my family does have their own trigger to me. And mm. so there, and it's all different, but it's all the same feeling that happens. And so. Do they all, um, help to accommodate you? Is there anyone, any, anyone in your family who's kind of the, uh, you know, not really into it? <laughs> um, so I mean, it, I've had a misophonia for 11 years now. So mm -hmm. when I say this, I want to emphasize that it has taken this long to get to this place where we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but everyone has been very accommodating. Not, I wouldn't say accommodating at first, but aware of what I'm going through. And it took them a long time to realize how real this was for me and how intense it was for me. But once we got to that place, they have been incredible. And in, we still have like plastic bowls. We do have ceramic ones, but you know, just in case I'm there, someone uses the plastic and then we have bamboo spoons and forks and knives. And so we, and then um, what, what else have they done? I'm trying to think, yeah, just, it's just communication at this point. Yeah. Um, and then yeah it's often what it is it's like uh it, i think uh, our 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 minds our lizard brains like if they if they can if, if somebody's at least aware and, and making some effort then our brain unassigned unassigns the threat that exactly. uh, we would have normally assigned to them so that helps a lot exactly and that's what's been really helpful for me at least is just identifying it whether that's in my brain out loud or even someone else and just saying like hey i need to finish my cracker or something and i'm like okay yeah. thank you like and it's weird because you sound crazy and you sound like you're controlling what they're eating but it's just it's a brain thing like you just can't explain it and mm -hmm. yeah but everyone's been really good and 
really kind, but, but I also don't spend like a ton of time with my family. It's not like I see them all the time and, you know, hanging out with them all day. Like it's very brief and we connect, but then we go our own separate ways and do our own thing. So I think just that rhythm has also helped. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and I, yeah, I always I kind of ask, has uh, how has I'm sure this will come up also later, but how has if and how has misophonia affected your relationship with your family? You know, causing some some people are completely ostracized from an early age, which is really sad. It sounds it like um, it sounds like you guys have created some kind of a balance. Yeah, I know. Uh, it sounds like you guys have created some kind of a, a balance where uh, they're very uh, accommodating, or at least tr uh, are aware and try to be. But you, you know, you. It's not like you spend all day right next to each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's, there's a balance that has evolved. That's that's probably the best we can hope for. Um, yeah. Do you want to maybe do you want to maybe go back to kind of let's kind of the early days for you and kind of when you started noticing this and how it evolved? I have now been diagnosed with autism, and so there have been things in my childhood that were like. Like I was familiar with the triggering feeling when misophonia came into the picture. I was familiar with that. Mm, something feels off. And mm. so there are sensitivities that I had as a child that, you know, were throughout my childhood. But then when misophonia happened, that's when like, whoa, this is something real for real. Like this is, this is another level of, crazy and i and i i use crazy i i know some people don't like that word but i i'm like it's spicy like i'm interesting like you don't have mm -hmm. you're you don't have a brain like me and so i mean it in, in a very endearing way but um yeah so there was some sensitivities and one being i listened to last week's episode as we we're recording this and it was robert and he was triggered by his mother's voice and it yeah. triggered a memory of mine and I was very um, uncomfortable around my one of my grandmas and she has a very high pitched voice and one of the highest pitches highest pitched voice I've ever heard and so apparently that was the thing I was like two and so I don't remember it I just remember being told like yeah you didn't really like grandma when you were a kid and so that raises a red flag in my mind being like that that was definitely related but then it wasn't until i was nine that misophonia just plopped in my life and has never left and i was just eating waffles with my brother one morning that's all it was and he was just smacking his food that's all and i just had that like enraging feeling and you know intrusive thoughts at the ripe age of nine mm -hmm. and I asked him to stop and my dad said if you have a problem with it you can go to the other room and I have since talked to him about that and I was like dad it sounds like something you would say like is my memory right and he was like yeah that's definitely what I said because you I'm teaching you if you don't like someone something that you have the power to move out of that situation and so in that moment he was really trying to like he didn't know what was going on obviously but he was trying to empower me to walk away from bad situations 
But in turn, in turn, what that, what, what he said taught me was no one else is feeling like this. And now I have to, now I like, it's all me. It's, this is my problem that I have to deal with and I have to walk away with. And right. And so I don't, you know, I, I'm obviously don't have any grudges towards him and what he said, cause he was just being a parent, absolutely doing what he trying his best. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, just yeah. trying his best. And so, um, but it's, but it's interesting to think, I, cause I remember that moment so specifically that it's like, I just remember being like, oh, so now it's my problem. Like no one else is hearing what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's interesting. So it was kind of like a switch that morning where uh, this is probably not the first time waffles be, were being eaten in the house, but Absolutely something not. about that. Yeah, something about that day. Was there anything going on around your life around that time that you know that was, I don't know, different or tra- or changing? Yes, but here's where the it's been 11 years and trauma makes your mind like scrambled eggs. And so yeah. I don't know what came before or after, but during that time, my grandparents living in the San Juan Islands had a house fire. And unrelated to the house fire, my grandfather was in the hospital um, for about a year. He, he had an infected hip. And so that happened when I was nine, but I don't know which happened first. And so... Gotcha. You know, I know the house fire was in January when I was nine, but I don't know what, you know, I don't know where it lands on the, on the timeline, which is frustrating to me because I want to have that timeline accurate, but some things we just won't have the answers to. Yeah. So you don't remember what day that was where you were eating the waffles. No, I wish I had like marked it on my calendar. Like I felt crazy this morning (laughs) or something like I, or, or like a journal or something. I just wish there was some evidence because I'm just so curious, honestly. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I've heard multiple people say there was, you know, a, uh, uh, grandparent, uh, passed away and then they noticed misophonia, um, at the funeral. And that was, you know, and then, then oh, from that point wow. on, it was, you know, game over. And so, wow. um, no, you know, a grandpa that they were close to. And so yeah. it, multiple people, yeah, the trauma and the sensitivity, like it's, it goes together. I don't know how, but if you're a researcher, it goes together. I'm just telling you, yeah. <laughs> this is what my body, yes. my system is telling you. <laughs> yeah. So then how, um, okay, so yeah, then after that day, um, obviously you were starting, probably starting to get triggered by more things. It's, you said earlier that, uh, you know, everyone in your family has their, their trigger. How did it kind of evolve? Did it just kind of like snowball pretty quickly? So it was, I have, I think I have kind of an interesting story and it's interesting because I feel like my story resonates with so many people that I've listened to. And so after that incident, then when I was 10, my family decided to move. And so we didn't, we moved to a town where we didn't have a house, but we had friends. 
And so our friends invited them into their home. They are lovely. I'm still friends with them to this day. I don't know how, but it was nine people in one house with my family being Ooh. in one bedroom. Yeah. And so you have stomping Oy. of all the meals snoring and you know etc etc i don't want to list everything but that's just the main ones that i'll say and so that was in a very intense six months for me i definitely disassociated um i don't even like from misophonia like the 9 10 11 12 age i genuinely don't remember a lot i think i disassociated from myself and and then, you know, so we got through like living with them. And then once we moved into our own home and I got my own room, I was so excited. I instantly fell into a very deep depression um, as a sixth grader or fifth grader or whatever. And that was really scary because I didn't know what was happening. And I was pretty sure it was depression because it's, you know, run in my family have been exposed to it. But it was like. I don't know what to do, like what's happening and I'm suffering and then I go to school and I'm tired and I'm annoyed and you know, just all the things. Like I know I don't have to explain everything thoroughly to you guys because everyone gets it to some extent. Yeah, so, okay. So it was after that, your, your whole family in the room. So these were all kind of like um, stemming, I mean, seems like stemming from uh misophonia or did you have the autism um we were talking earlier about kind of in intersectional uh issues in issues with you do you know kind of was there a, a timeline or cause and effect of uh you know how how this kind of how, how well, this all happened do you feel like misophonia is kind of the root of a lot of this um that's what's kind of confusing to me and i'm like fairly newly diagnosed with yeah. autism but with autism, you can't develop it. You're born with it. And misophonia, you develop it. But it's also in your DNA. So, like, it's kind of that gray area. We don't know. But autism, to me, feels very... It's just, like, who I am and what I do and how I think. Misophonia feels like it's another entity that is so deep in the core of who I am and it like just comes out from time to time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah. but the depths of how I feel it are like very at my core gotcha so autism is it's kind of something you're born with but more kind of your your baseline it's I, I think autism is considered more of a trait right rather than like a uh, disorder I believe is how it I kind of hope is so. defined yeah but I, misophonia is more of a uh, just a obviously, oh sorry yeah. I no 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 uh, yeah it's funny um like i think you were saying earlier is is yeah very much um a, you know a deep thing that comes out like a jekyll and hyde kind of situation when when yes. you're triggered yeah um and so and then the dissociation that was happening again that was really a result of kind of that intense almost claustrophobic environment that you were in yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Like 100%. And, I just couldn't deal with it, I guess. And so part of that was, is that when it, 
dissociation is also kind of like maybe synonymous with the freeze reaction that you were having that you were talking about earlier oh probably yeah 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 that makes perfect sense because because i never said anything to anyone like up up until i don't i don't know when exactly i said or someone noticed what was happening like i that's the other part that i don't remember is like when i actually said something or if my parents noticed i was being triggered and realized like the connection i don't know when that was it eventually happened thank god but um it wasn't for a while and so i was just very like just in my body frozen shameful guilty afraid um like as a nine-year-old what were you what were you afraid of was it was it just uh, afraid of being triggered I don't even know what I'm afraid of. It was just a feeling in my body that I could not Mm. get away from. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you you brought up shame and guilt. I mean, obviously, uh, pretty much every episode talks uh, that that comes up at some point. Was that um, was that the the shame and guilt of like not understanding why you are um, not not wanting to interact with your parents or or just feeling like you're a burden that kind of shame and guilt that we all have i think it's all above and and more like i was also raised in a christian household and in christianity shame and guilt is not taught but heavily applied and and so i think i was like more susceptible to shame and guilt to begin with with my upbringing and then you add misophonia to it and you know you have intrusive thoughts about hurting your loved ones and you feel bad and then you and then you react and then you either get in trouble for your reaction and that's you know causes more trauma or and or or you just feel like a burden yeah it's just like it's it's truly a vicious cycle and yeah until you are aware of it and have agency and have language like language hello we need to talk about that having the language to describe what is going on and how sensitive we are and because this podcast has taught me so many words and like how to explain misophonia to people and like people on the podcast have come on and said things like like really i don't even know what they've said but just really like put together sentences that only misophones would know and <laughs> yeah, and i just, like, right. felt it in my gut like that's what i've been feeling okay that was just yeah. another way to explain it and yeah. so yeah i just i think it all just piled on top and then how did you yeah how did you uh sounds like a deep hole that you went into or what kind of like helped you crawl out was it something you did or something your family recognized or maybe at school? I I think it was kind of a time thing. Um, my, I think, again, a lot was going on. Um, I have, you know, again, very loving parents and a, and a fairly healthy household. And I'm very blessed and very grateful for that. Um, but there were definitely things. And so in that time, I was also... Um, you know, going to church as a family. And at that age is when is also the time where I started being triggered at church, which got really dangerous. Um, 
and that adds to the shame and guilt um, because I think being triggered in a place that is supposed to be sacred is really damaging um, for your psyche. Like not not physically, like, you know, as far as misophonia goes, but it was really damaging to my psyche because, you know, I'm taught about the fruits of the spirit and all these things, all these good things that I'm supposed to be. And I know that my true nature can be, but I'm sitting there hearing my father breathe next to me and I just want to kill him. Like, that's all I could think about yeah, And yeah. in church. And they're saying, you know, like, repent, like Jesus loves you. Like, you don't need to feel bad. Like, you can just, Jesus will forgive you and, you know, all these things. And I'm literally thinking about murdering my father right next to me in front yeah. of everyone. You know, like, yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like crazy in my head. And so it was just like, I, for a while, I, or at one point, I definitely thought that I was the devil himself and was like, yep. Because everything that I was taught about from the pulpit about the devil, I was experiencing. And there was no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness inside my heart and especially self-control. Like, hello. Like, there was just none of that at that time. I was just suffering so bad that I was like, okay, well, then if I'm not that, then I'm the devil. And he's seeped his little claws into my head and I'm just going to be this way. I'm just going to be miserable. And so I, th you know, but it's hard because I was 12. And so it's kind of like I was also going through that, like, puberty stage so it was just all over the place all the time <laughs> right did your um yeah i know it's funny when you when you were saying that it's like you uh, you know i'll watch the you know movie horror movies like the exorcist or the omen and i'm like yeah that's kind of i mean there's nothing new here this is kind of what i think about <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yeah it's very haunting no this condition is very haunting i think that is a great word it just feels yeah. like little horror like snippet in your brain brain just for a little and then it goes away but it's just whoop, there we go yeah and before actually yeah before uh before we move on to uh you know some so what was going on in high school uh you, you, you talked about the need for language um what are maybe some of the um you know uh language pieces that have been valuable for you as you um, explained well and okay so I would like to preface before this that I'm not a big language geek. And so I kind of use language very freely. And yeah. if it resonates, it resonates. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And if you have a different definition, then whatever. Like, I don't care. I'm just using language that works for me. So, like, the word sound sensitivity has really helped me explain to other people. Is it the right medical term for us? No, but it does, it has helped me at least explain to other people because the word misophonia is so weird and people think that you're speaking a different language, not even from earth. Like when we yeah, say that. people think we're saying phobia, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's not that, it's not that. And then the, a great one is just the word overstimulated. And I know it's super simple, but just like I'm feeling overstimulated right now. And it has allowed me to realize that feeling of, oh, I'm about to be triggered. Or, 
a trigger is about to happen or I am triggered. I am overstimulated or whatever. And so I have, I probably have plenty more. I just am not thinking of them right now, but. Oh no, that's fine. If you think of them along the way, yeah, I'd just be curious as we're, as we're talking but I uh, think, because I'm sure people are curious about how to, how to explain it to, to others. Yeah. But I think the, the, neurodivergent world and language has taught me a lot about how to understand misophonia more which i think is really interesting because misophonia hasn't been researched as much um having more like neurodivergent friends and um you know people with autism adhd whatever it might may be they somehow seem more understanding and welcoming to misophonia and are able to sympathize with me more and it's really interesting um yeah so, so i was going to ask the next like yeah after um yeah as you're as you're growing up and, and heading into high school how did how did your uh, situation with friends were you seeking out new divergent friends did you have any issues making friends um i was you know, the plot, the plot continues and I was still all over the place. Um, yeah. I, I had a lot of friends actually, but I didn't have like a particular friend group. And so at lunch for school, I would, you know, have put my lunchbox somewhere, but I would walk around the cafeteria and talk to different uh. people. And so I'm very chatty. I, I'm very sociable. I love talking to people. It's like, it's kind of, I guess in terms of the fight, flight or freeze, I feel more like my personality is like, or the fight part is more like, uh, we're just going to go talk to people and we're just going to distract our mind and we're going to get hyper and we're going to be mm. engaged and just like, t like extra, like almost manic, but not. I guess. Gotcha. And so yeah, that yeah, was yeah. kind of my fight is I would just walk around, be hyper, talk to people. Oh, you're eating a cracker now. Now I'm going to go to this new table. And, you know, and I was just all over the place. And people would say, like, sit down, enjoy, like, chill. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us, even, even with families, we'll, we'll, we'll more likely to walk around because we can more quickly move yeah. out of a situation. Yeah. But then the other thing with my high school experience that is weird is that I actually never went to high school. Um, and so that's an interesting aspect. Um, our, where I used to live, our, which was in the Tacoma area, our ninth graders were in the junior high. And mm. so I went to ninth grade all year. And then after that was the end of that year I just um woke up with a headache one morning and I just felt in my gut it was serious and it wasn't gonna go away and it really scared me and so I went to I you know went to the doctor and told them like I have misophonia I feel like this is something related to it i have been going to school i feel very fatigued and tired and all these things and they just gave me muscle relaxer and um said i'd be okay um i had a headache for two years after that and wow. 
uh, misophonia definitely did not get better. And so I pretty much dropped out of school at that point. I did online. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had a bunch of friends, went to school, and then I just disappeared. Like, absolutely disappeared. I would see people in town sometimes and they'd be like, where have you been? Like, I almost forgot about you type of thing. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, I don't want to talk to any of you because I'm in so much pain. But yeah. like, I didn't care if people forgot about me. I just had no care in the world. And high school just sounded like a war zone to me. Um, like the lights, the clicking talk, the clock, the people, the gum, everything. I just couldn't. And, and so ultimately what I've learned now is I think I was having a... Um, oh, wait. Oh, sorry. I'm forgetting the word. Oh, I totally lost the word. No worries, no worries. Yeah, yeah. But I was, but pretty much my brain was just tired from being around all those people for so long and not having any accommodations. Yeah. Oh, so, you, so did you ever try to get accommodations at school? Never. It was never even a consideration of mine. I did just you, did you, did you know what the term was? Well, you, obviously you knew that you had some sensitivities, but uh, was it? maybe rap just you, like a lot of us we don't even think about it because we think we're crazy or you yeah know. So, so i did i did um have the word i knew of the word like when i was 14 so it was like a year before head pain kind of started and and i actually in my ninth grade year i did have a teacher that said no gum i have this thing called misophonia and i walked my little butt up to her desk after the class teachers had said, misophonia yeah. Yeah. And wow. I said, I have misophonia too. And she was like, oh my goodness. And she was like, whatever you need, just let me know. And so in her class, you know, like I would cover my eyes because the lights were too bright and I would plug yeah. my ears because I could hear the clock or someone chewing or something. And that's the thing with me is that my triggers expand outside of misophonia. It's not just eating. It also is the clock. It's the lights. It's the washing machine. It's the water pressure. It's the dogs. It's so it's auditory. There's there's also yeah. I was going to ask misokinesia. You get the visual triggers, but yeah. um, by only washing one. machine, only one. Only mm. one. This is so interesting to me. I only have one. Like I can get visually triggered if I'm like watching someone eat from far away. But I don't really count that as like a specific visual trigger. That's just my eyeballs working and then my brain interpreting it. But my trigger is my mom spins her ankles around in circles for like a long time. And I've yeah. never seen anyone do it before. But like she just ro like rolls her ankles. And it bothers me so bad that I would just be like, mom, stop. And she's like, what am I doing? I'm like, your ankles. <laughs> You're being just, evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even sometimes, like, the way she sits with her ankles, it just makes me uncomfortable looking mm -hmm. at it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, can you move your feet in a better position for me, please? Mm -hmm. It's, like, really weird. And that's where I feel like, I feel like a bitch sometimes or a control freak or, like, you know, just this crazy person because I'm like, you need to sit differently for me to feel better. 
but I'm a completely across the room and I'm probably going to leave in three minutes because someone's going to get out food. So it's like, I just feel like I've had friends come into, you know, my family space and they've said like, do you realize how much your family moves around you and you only like they, they don't consider each other as much as they consider you. Like they're trying to be so cautious and and that's where a lot of guilt comes in because I'm like, I know they're doing so much and I still feel triggered in some moments, but at least they're doing something. Like I'm so thankful because that's, I know I'm like extremely fortunate in that way because it's just heartbreaking hearing like people who have been disowned or estranged and like just know that there are people out there who will respect us and will respect our needs because they exist. They just exist. And you just got to put that energy out into the world that they will find you and you will find them. Yeah. They exist. It's just, it's worth Yeah. It's worth highlighting this because, uh, there's a, there's, there's a bunch of, speaking of intersectional, there's a bunch of, uh, things here. First of all, I think, um, a lot of people tend to, who don't have this point tend to think that we don't realize that we are, um, probably a burden and that we have all this guilt they you know right. they see they see our demands and they think that we're just being control freaks when there's a lot more going on another thing is uh you know we would you know I, I would think that you and i would if somebody else had a condition like this we would accommodate for them as well i mean uh you know misophonia is just considered it's not as popular as some of the other issues that a lot of people get give accommodations for and so we're just kind of early in the curve i think early in the arc and hopefully you know, we will be taken as seriously as these other conditions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, being taken seriously is like a huge thing. And that's something that I've grown a lot in. I used to be very ashamed and like feel guilty for telling someone that I have misophonia. But since moving to a new place and just being like, this is who I am, and I know this is not for everyone. This is just what I'm doing. And if you like it, then use it. And if you don't, who cares? Um, but I just tell people I have misophonia. Like if I hang out with them for the first time or whatever, I just say, hey, I have a neurological condition. It's called misophonia. You can eat with me, but please like be cautious. Um, please don't eat gum. Please, you know, and I just like I put it out there because I don't want anyone to be surprised six months into a friendship and then be like oh my god I have to act completely different around you because in my experience and I know this, this might not be scientifically true but in my experience to the point like I can be friends with someone or be in a relationship with someone and I know when I start to love them because that's when I feel triggered as soon as something like oh my gosh, I really do love them, like love this person and I want them in my life forever. That's when a trigger comes up. It's so interesting. Weird. So you mean you, you, you tell them that you love them and then the triggers start or it's like you, you can tell that you are having it's, feelings for them because you're kind of like, <laughs> again, it's kind of that complicated. Like, I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. Asked if it was like, I made the decision like, wow, I truly do love this person. And then they started triggering me or they started triggering me. And then I was like, wow, I do really love this person. I'm not sure which, cause you know, there's been a few instances, but it's definitely very similar timing. 
And I think it's kind of scary. <laughs> so that's why I yeah. just like let people know. Right, right. Okay, okay. Uh, no, yeah, it's always, I mean, the more the more this gets out there, the more it's communicated, I think the more normalized it could be. Um, and so... But I guess I'm also, like, I'm not 21 yet. I'm not, like, going to bars and partying and, you know, COVID. So I'm not making a ton of friends to begin with here. I yeah. live on an island. There's not that many people. And so it's very selective. Like, I'm very selective with my friends in general. So when I do hang out with them, that means that, okay, they're a safe person I can tell that I have misophonia to. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it kind of goes together. It's not like I'm just like, oh my God, I have misophonia. Everyone should know. Like, that's just <laughs> right, the world. Right, right. You have, uh, you announce it from uh, across the, across the, uh, the bay or wherever, the beach. <laughs> uh, um, so, okay, so you're... Yeah, so let's see. Actually, we're getting to about to an hour, but yeah. uh, there's so much. I guess we we could talk about. But let's let's. I don't know. Let's maybe. Um, I mean, we're we're at, we're, we're kind of around high school, so it's not not that many more years left uh, yeah, until we get kidding. to the present. But um, I guess um, do you want to maybe talk about? Uh, yeah. So well, I guess what have you done? I guess since you so you graduated online from 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 high school. Um, how did things kind of evolve? Like, were you seeing, were, I mean, were you seeing doctors and therapists for other conditions like autism um, yeah. or other issues? And kind of curious how that, the dance with, between the, that and misophonia um, landed. And I'm actually not sure when you said that you found your current doctor. I think that was like just about a year ago. Yeah. So okay. through that time, I was experiencing extreme headaches. Not just a headache that would yeah, come right. and go, not a migraine, but a just complete head pain that I would wake up with and I would go to sleep with. It was constant. And I wow. still, to this day, I don't know what it stemmed from. I don't know how it went away. I don't know anything. It just was there. But it did go away. It did. So, but I do uh -huh. have frequent headaches now. Like I end each night pretty much with an ice pack on my head, which I'm fine with. But, you know, at least it's well, not all day. Yeah. And yeah, I'm well, able to well, hopefully, that will go, hopefully that will go away uh, yeah. eventually. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I, you know, went to that initial doctor. They gave me muscle relaxer, which is completely irresponsible to give a 15-year-old person with just a headache who said she has a neurological condition just muscle relaxers i just cannot believe that happened and i know there's a lot of worse things that doctors have done but i'm just like dude i literally was trying to do my best and communicate with you but you could not do the same but yeah. you know we all, yeah. we all understand that doctors are just not gonna listen to us so after that i went to a naturopath and because i was just like this is the doctors aren't gonna help me i just had this feeling i also um switched my diet completely that summer between school years I went gluten-free and then I went completely vegan and then I started going to the naturopath and he had me cut out soy sugar corn and some other things and so I was completely whole food plant-based diet for about a year as well 
And so I did a lot in that time. I was taking supplements. I was doing acupuncture, massage, um, eating good, ex- like going on walks, making sure I was, you know, being careful with that. And nothing was working. It just nothing. Mm. Was and I, you know, we got my blood tested. I got an MRI done. There was a lot um checked my thyroid like all these things i don't even remember um i think i'm saying them all but there's probably more um but just not i was just always coming up normal average human and a lot of my autistic traits went under the radar as well um you know mostly because of masking and uh typically women are really good at masking and uh just like a chameleon almost like we look at other people in a situation and we're like, Oh, that's what everyone sees as normal. Okay. That's what I'm going to do too. So a lot of my personality wasn't shown to people around me. Only like I got to see that. And so all like pretty much everything about me, just like the true me just flew under the radar. And so it's really frustrating to like look back at that time because I feel like or I wish that I could have been more one honest with myself, but then honest with those around me. And so it is quite frustrating to think like I was in so much pain for so long and did all these things and spent so much money, my own money, too. Like I was babysitting at this time, like paying for my naturopath as a 15 year old. And because I knew that I, I was like, I knew I needed to get some help. I knew I needed help in some way. I just didn't know what. And so it just felt very disappointing. Like every time going to a doctor, trying to figure out what's wrong with you, especially when you're in chronic pain, having anxiety in depression, like, and, and then every time you leave, someone's like, yeah, you're fine. And you're, I'm like, I'm not fine. I am light years away from fine right now. <laughs> yeah yeah wow okay um and then yeah, well since, i guess yeah since then yeah, well, yeah. how you got to today like on uh, a lighter uh, note let's yes yeah. yeah, so that was like the big dumpster fire of pain and growing up but then here moving to the san juan islands and mm-hmm. being in the woods and just saying okay michaela like this is there, there is something wrong with you and you need to understand that and you need to recognize that. And so one, just like recognizing I needed help, recognizing I did have a problem and, and then allowing myself to nurture that side of me and, and to say, instead of being ashamed of Cause I, I, this is, and again, doctors have also suspected that I could be bipolar or have multiple personalities. Again, Mm. that's where misophonia is very confusing because it just is confusing. And I, cause how I've explained misophonia to people is like, it's another part of my brain. It's like another person in me. Um, it's like, has another voice almost. And I don't know if other people like relate to that at all, but but I had to nurture that person, that being or whatever inside of me that was misophonia and say, okay, I will walk away for you now. 
I will put in earplugs. I will ask someone to stop. I will make accommodations for myself because I deserve it. My nervous system deserves it. And I feel so much better after doing that and just allowing myself to nurture misophonia and not to hate it, not to be mad at it. I do hate it and I do am mad at it a lot, but in the overall sense of going, okay, this isn't like the devil inside of me now. This is something I need to take care of and say, I love you. Even though you caused me pain, I love you because who knows, maybe misophonia is protecting us from something else. I have no idea. Like, yeah, so no. a, lot, a lot of stuff to unpack there, but you're, you're absolutely right. And this is actually one of the uh, aspects of misophonia therapy that I've learned over the last, even less than a year, that there is a, a direct kind of a direct a therapeutic direction, which um, is based on, and I'm not a doctor, but it is, uh, but, you know, uh, professionals uh, talk about this. It's based on the idea that um, misophonia is related to some some wounded inner child, something that may have happened or a series of things that may have happened, not necessarily like big traumatic, like giant traumatic things, but minor traumatic That's things traumatic. That, that may have happened early on. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there's a wounded child that was not uh, supported and it, um, it takes maybe your older self to uh, talk to it, to give it compassion as a way to kind of, uh, you know, get over that and, uh, or at least help a little bit. So I think that's, it's interesting that you've kind of come to that conclusion yourself. And, exactly. but I'm... and I feel everything that you just said, like in my core, because again, this is something that developed. So that means something had to have happened to make this a thing in my brain. And so it's like, and I know there's been a lot that has happened in my life that is weird and confusing and complex. And so, and everyone needs to do that inner work and inner self-love. But I think for us, it's on such an extreme level of like, because we feel stuff so intensely, it's like, oh no, I don't just like need a self-love day. I need to actually love myself because if I don't, the possibility of me being suicidal is very high. Like if I don't mm -hmm. fully just love and care for myself every single day, that means I could slip into something deeper and darker than even misophonia. And so like, it's very real. And so, yeah, like coping and, and all this language and the, you know, whether it's big T trauma, small T trauma, like work through it, face your demons, face the bad shit that happened and not that it's a cure for misophonia but it might just help in general oh i think it absolutely will yeah you and yeah great great advice everything you just said i hope people um rewind a bit and listen to that listen to it again you're, you're absolutely right um well and... Oh, i think sorry i keep cutting you off i'm so no, bad no. at talking. it's like really bad um sorry um but the other thing that has helped me with mis with like diving deeper into misophonia and coping strategies instead of, oh, how, cause like, yes, there are researchers researching misophonia and a cure and like, please keep going, keep doing that. We love you. Thank you. Like, seriously, that's amazing. 
But where my brain's at right now is what do we do in the meantime when there is no cure and we're still suffering? And so what I did was instead of like misophonia, 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 like ah, eating all this, I tried to change my focus to my nervous system. And that's when stuff's really started clicking for me where I was like, oh, it's not just my ears. It's not just my reaction. It, this is my entire body. Like this is affecting my entire body. My, you know, like my neck is tense. My hips hurt. I have a lot of like weird, like just bodily, not, not even bodily issues, but just like aches and pains. Like I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm 70, but I'm 20. And so I'm just like, all of this has something to do with each other. And so once I started focusing on my nervous system, that's when things really were like, oh, I can do this. Like I am a better human than how I've been acting in the past. Like this is working. And so one of those things is, you know, CBT obviously helped me like talk things through, but I know that's not for everyone. And then um, tapping, emotional freedom technique has changed the game incredibly have you ever heard of it i have but i would love to um yeah i'd love to to hear uh your your take on it and and what you do you know i was shocked and my therapist like just told me about it one day and i was like hmm that's interesting because i've been meditating for five years you know Uh often you know it wasn't like everyday thing but i thought that at the time that could help obviously didn't um if not made meditating even harder because i would you know hear my brother playing guitar and i'm like shut up and so it was kind of that meditating was hard so tapping once i found that i was like it's very similar to meditating but you just hit certain pressure points on your hands and your head your chest and and then you talk things through and so like for example you could say, even though I'm feeling triggered, I can still walk away. Even though I'm about to go into a loud, stimulating um, environment, I will be okay at the end and I can get through this. And you can say anything, like literally anything you want and just tap it out. Please look it up. It's awesome. And I just feel better. It's just very empowering. And I even did like a tapping before this and just like, you can do this. You have, you know what to say. This is your life. Like you don't have to prepare anything. Um, This is your life. You just get to share your story. And I just tapped it out and I felt so much better. And so how does it, does it, the professional have to kind of work with you to talk about where to tap and or what to say? Or just look it up on YouTube. You can... YouTube. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. YouTube. Just look it up on there's like an Instagram account, there's a YouTube, there's you know, just like good old Google. Um and yeah, you can No, it's come up a couple of times on the podcast and at the yeah, the first time I heard it I was like, well, that can't be real. But I've I've <laughs> I've been the more yeah. I hear about it, the uh, the more it's definitely uh and I've read about it in books now. So yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued now. And uh there's no way that it helps like with misophonia like it doesn't take nothing i have done has ever taken away misophonia but it has helped 
my body process the negative motion emotions that negative that misophonia like embody I guess and helps me move through those emotions and feelings and whatever and so get back to equilibrium yeah exactly exactly and then another thing I did try was EMDR and I have mixed feelings about that I was very intrigued because it sounded awesome and but the therapist and I did not we didn't vibe I guess like it was just very odd and then she like forgot why I was there and I told I had had a dream about my dad um chewing strawberries and I told her I was like um triggers are you know like showing up in my dreams and she was like oh triggers like a gunshot and I just looked at her and I said no my dad eating a strawberry yeah it was so funny to me I was like no like in that moment I just was like you don't get it like you don't get it and EMDR is deep trauma work and if I don't feel comfortable with the person that I'm with there's no way I'm gonna get anywhere with this right right and so I just like put that on the shelf I might do it in the future it might be worth trying again with somebody who's more um aware of what's happening yeah yeah I was just like no my dad eating a strawberry (laughs) like yeah okay (laughs) um okay Uh, um wow yeah no it's super interesting and we're yeah we're getting we're obviously a little bit more now i feel like we can keep going but maybe maybe i'll have to have you on for some kind of a part two at some point but uh but for now like is there anything else you kind of want to talk about especially maybe in terms of like what's helped you lately Uh, i'm also curious about um you know how do you see the future you're you know you're young and you're yeah, you're nanny now. You, I don't know if you're thinking about what you want to do after you move out and whatnot, but uh, that could be maybe a whole, a whole conversation in itself. But if there's any like uh, techniques that you want to mention, uh, yeah, it'd be great to hear. But but yeah, I'm also just kind of want to hear what you think about the future, especially um, after what you've gone through. Yeah, well, I definitely could talk on and on for hours and hours about this. Um, you know, it's just. I love psychology and love people and just like how we are operating. And so, and I, as I've grown up, I've realized how different I am from everybody else and like, Oh, you don't think like me. And so that makes me just like, I feel like a narcissist a lot because I'm so intrigued with like why I do the things I do, but it's, it's more in like a curiosity, like, why am I different? What is going on? So yeah, there's that, but I could literally go on and on, but breath work is another one that I've tried. Um, you know, like the box breath, just for, for in, for hold, for out, for hold. Yeah. I've heard that too. Triggered, mm-hmm. Like, and if the only thing you have is yourself, you have no other tools. You always have your breath. And that doesn't mean it has to be perfect every time. But getting oxygen to your brain is helpful in general. It's important, yes. So, like, I know it sounds silly, but it's just like, hello, we need it. Um, Because a lot of the time I hold my breath. So that was a big thing is, like, teaching myself how to breathe properly. (laughs) As part of the freeze response, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And then something random is tracking my cycle. 
And so for any like woman with, or any bleeding woman with uh, misophonia, like please track your cycle because that's when misophonia would get really bad for me is in that like PMS time right before my period. And it was like really scary a lot of the times. Like I would have panic attacks. I would freak out. I would see visions and like think that something was attacking me. Like it was, it got really scary sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so tracking that and then being able to be like, oh, wow, like that person really just pissed me off. And then, or I'm feeling triggered, like, and, and then I'm like, oh, I'm about to start my period. And it just gives me grace. That's all. That really is all. And I think that's huge for us because a lot of the time we're beating ourselves up for being angry when really it's just our bodies happening. That's all. Right. No, that's interesting. There, there was somebody that came on, um, some, some, not, not too long ago who definitely talked about how she's feels it's strongly connected to hormone hormonal changes because mm-hmm. it's kind of coincided with uh um the misfit is just coincided with with, with with at times of her life she's a little bit older when uh, yeah, you know, I hormones to that. changed a lot oh yeah yeah okay. yeah i was really intrigued because i have always thought that it was connected to hormones and then when i listened to her i was like yeah that makes sense to mm-hmm. me like we had a very similar situation and so or like real realizations i guess and so i thought that was interesting but yeah i just who knows like where and what and why it is correlated but i see a huge correlation within my life that it's just like duh like it's just so clear that it's connected but then as far as the future man oh yeah just sum it up in four words no just kidding Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Me in four words. Right. Um, man, I, I'm a very, I'm a dreamer. I really am a dreamer. I think, uh, the world has a lot of potential right now. Um, yeah, it can only get better. I hope we need to get better. We need to be more accessible and, um, more conscious, more aware. I think, Um, A lot of our issues, I believe in my heart, have something to do with the greater good. And I also believe that as misophones, we have deep empathy. And so whatever is going on in the world, I believe it is um, affecting us um, on a conscious or subconscious level. Um, because I feel like a huge empath and the other misophones I've heard on this podcast and a few that I've talked to, we feel very deeply. And so when the world is hurting, so are we because we understand what that pain, we understand what the pain truly feels like. And especially when it's out of our control. So seeing fires and floods and, you know, all these terrible things happening, like somewhere our body knows we might not know and we might not have that experience, but our body knows. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point on a, on a macro level. But even I've been thinking recently a lot about that, how, you know, what are some advantages to misophonia and whether the empath, whether the, I'm sure you know, you've heard the term HSP, the highly sensitive person. A lot of yeah. people have come on. Uh, I've been thinking about like um, uh, 
you know, how can that benefit us on a more of an even more on a selfish level, like in our careers? Like, you know, can totally. that make us better managers or bosses? I think that's something we should. Uh, um, I don't know, I don't know, just kind of celebrate in a way, like, or at least kind of highlight, hey, maybe we can use yeah. our empathic abilities to kind of benefit the world, but also us personally, you know, in our in our livelihoods that that will you know have a ripple effect uh, on people around us. Exactly, and I truly like. I truly believe that we could be some sort of superheroes. Like, I know that sounds hard to believe, but I feel like we are quite intelligent. We've just been suffering. And Mm -hmm. so we don't know how to access it, a lot of us. But I genuinely feel like we are special humans. Because, again, I had never heard of misophonia or anyone with misophonia other than my eighth grade teacher. But that's besides the point. Uh, until I saw this podcast and to listen to you guys be like, oh my gosh, we've all felt alone and we've all felt like the only one. And to me, that is weird or not weird, but like very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people can, you know, oh, I feel like I'm the only one. This is on another level. I feel like, like no one gets it until you get it. And so when we find each other, that's like beauty. And so I really do feel like we can, like I'm again, like I'm not trying to start a cult or anything, but I really feel like we can band together and make this world a better place because we are more aware in a way that other people aren't. No, you're right. That that kind of that spark and connection that we feel when we find each other, if other people felt the same way around yeah. each other, they think that's an energy that we want to uh, promote. So, yeah. um, but let's maybe end on that kind of positive yeah, for, for now maybe we'll have other conversations in the future but uh yeah this is amazing i have no problem letting it go over an hour because we covered a lot of amazing ground uh, yeah there's a lot thank I think you people will be taking notes i'm sure yeah of course uh no this is, this is hugely beneficial for me too um yeah michaela like, yeah thanks and thanks thanks again and um uh, well thank you for everything that you do seriously like for this community this is huge we need it like this has brought me to so much understanding of my own brain and it's just amazing. So thank you because you are providing a service, an outlet, language to people who desperately need it. So thank you. Thank you, Michaela. Uh, it's amazing how similar we all are in our experiences and our thoughts about misophonia a little bit a little more philosophically. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave a quick review or just hit the five stars wherever you listen to this show. You can hit me up by email at hellomisophoniapodcast.com or go to the website, misophoniapodcast.com. It's even easier to send a message on Instagram at misophoniapodcast. You can follow there or Facebook. And always forget Twitter at show. Support the show by visiting the Patreon at patreon.com slash misophoniapodcast. The music, as always, is by Moby. And until next week, wishing you peace and quiet.